Hey, this is Adrian Hernandez, and welcome to the NIH Collaboratory Grand Rounds podcast. We're here to give you some extra time with our speaker and ask some of the tough and interesting questions you want to hear most. If you haven't already, we hope you'll watch the full Grand Rounds webinar recording to learn more. All of our Grand Rounds content can be found at rethinkingclinicaltrials.org. Thanks for joining. Hi, this is Adrian Hernandez, and I'm a host for uh, the Collaboratory Grand Rounds. And today I'm really pleased to have uh, Rebecca Lee and Frank Rockhold, who just um, did a, a Collaboratory Grand Rounds on preparing for clinical trial data sharing and reuse, the new reality for researchers. So Frank and Rebecca, thanks for joining us in this podcast. Glad to be here. Thank you, Adrian. Frank, let me start off with you. Um, you know, people have been talking about uh, data sharing for really years. Uh, and I re recall that, you know, you were one of the early champions uh, for this. What's the problem we're uh, trying to solve here? So I think there's a, there's a high level uh, issue around transparency and openness in science. I think we have a, a credibility problem in science in general and in clinical research in particular. But this has been going on for a number of years. If you think back to even protocol registration back in the, the 90s and the 2000s and clinicaltrials.gov requiring protocol registration was one step on the way to try and create uh, transparency. One, one way to, to help transparency or foster it is to make information available about research. So that includes the design of the research protocol, uh, information about the data that you've collected, so-called metadata, and then the data themselves to allow people to further investigate uh, research findings. And if they choose to, to try and understand how you arrived at your conclusion, which then is all part of a greater problem around uh, reproducibility. But all of those are pieces of a puzzle of uh, transparency. They are actions to help uh, achieve openness and transparency. So everyone agrees that uh, the that open science and data sharing is really important. Uh, people believe in the principles here. And Rebecca, you have been really a champion in developing this and now have a platform that you're leading with Vivoli to make this a reality. So how does that work and how's that been going? At the core of my training, I'm a scientist. So to be part of the team that was all about sharing is, is really exciting to me. I was part of the original team at the MRCT Center of Harvard and Brigham and Women's that launched Vivli as a nonprofit, and, and Frank was there as well. And my career has been centered around developing drugs, primarily before then in the pharma and biotech industry at a CRO. And back then, I wish there was something like Vivli back then, when as a scientist, it would have made my work easier um, as data sharing really allows scientists to see what clinical trials have been done before, reducing duplication, and allows those trials in the planning stages to be reshaped as necessary. And, you know, data from clinical trials have really been locked away, some in, as you probably know, Adrian, in some PI's com personal computer or a data bank or maybe in a university's um, computer system. Others might be in a pharmaceutical company's personal cloud. But for years, we've really been talking about now the concept of big data. 
And as we think about these truly complex diseases in like cardiovascular disease, diabetes, cancer, Alzheimer's, to really unlock those diseases, we really have to think about opening up those vaults and freeing those data. And the key's really turned now. Data sharing is the new reality. And many players have, you know, individuals have stepped forward, but now major stakeholders like Duke, pharmaceutical companies, um, nonprofits have started to step forward. And now, well, you know, some of the world's leading medical journals have stepped forward to require authors to, to have a data sharing plan. And we really hope that researchers hoping to publish in these journals will declare their data sharing plans in ct.gov. And that will be a major step towards more sharing of individual participant level data. So let me uh, ask uh, another area around uh, data sharing is that uh, there have been a lot of worries about um, potential um, mishaps with uh, data sharing and a lot of concerns um, about uh, so-called feeding uh, research parasites. Uh, Frank, I'll start with you. Is, is that a concern about um, any um, potential harms um, around uh, data sharing? And uh, does that just enable uh, research parasites? Uh, yes, Adrian, that is a, certainly been a concern from the very beginning. And there are two, at least two aspects to that that, that I could highlight. One is the concern that people will reanalyze uh, their data set. Someone else will reanalyze their data set and get a different finding and either publish that and uh, either discredit them or uh, public, you know, get into a public debate about whose analysis is correct. And so I think that is a, a concern of many that they, it will upset some, some other work they've done. Uh, to this date, that's not been a big problem. If you, people have been actively sharing large data sets now for six years, six or seven years. And I'd say there's maybe three or four or five cases where somebody has actually taken the time to reanalyze uh, an individual data set and maybe one or two cases where there has been some debate, but on the whole, 95, 98% plus of data reuse applications have really been to try and understand, answer new questions and progress new knowledge. So I think that I would say on balance, that fear has really been unfounded. This, the second concern, which I think speaks to the research parasite part is, uh, if I spend six or seven years running a clinical trial and I release the data, uh, is someone else going to get to publish a, a number of papers and go get a grant that rightfully should have been mine because um, I, I should keep the data because I, and I use this term loosely, but I own the data and I put that in quotes. So I think that's the, the concern that's been certainly been highlighted around some of the ICMJE debates. And uh, I don't know, it might be too early days to know whether that's a reality or not. My view is that people can include that in their plans when they design a trial. If they know they're going to be sharing the data, then they plan ahead of time for what questions they think are uh, legitimate. And I think as has been published by some uh, noteworthy authors, the key at the end is, is to hope for collaboration. So if somebody has a question they want to answer using your data, that's you open up the data to them, but encourage them 
a collaborate collaborative approach as opposed to a competitive approach. So too early days to know whether that's a reality, but um, I would say as an editorial comment, um, patients expect da their data to be shared. So I don't think academics having a, or, or anybody having an argument about who should or shouldn't be answering questions from my data should ever be more important than what the expectations of the patients are. That is very true. And I'll just go on the record and say, I am a research parasite. I have uh, used other data um, and published from it and also agree fully with what your, uh, the notion that uh, patients' expectations are for if they're volunteering for something uh, that um, they want uh, as much knowledge to come out from that. So, uh, Rebecca, you know, as things have developed for Vivoli and, and the platform here, how are you um, intending to have uh, incentives uh, for its use? Like, um, you know, certainly making the data uh, available is an important aspect. Are, are there any plans in the future to, you know, help uh, recognize um, those who um, donate or share data on the platform or even use it uh, from the platform? Absolutely. So those, those ideas have really been a core part of our development as Vivly has evolved and as we've created the platform. So digital object identifiers and how um, Vivly has been structured is, is already baked in to uh, the development and how Vivly is, is structured. So DOIs or digital object identifiers, um, this is already a part of the platform. So this is, you know, you can already see how incentives can be utilized um, to track and provide credit for those that that uh, contribute data to Bigly and and also um, for those that utilize Bigly. You can see for collaborators how they can also credit those that have donated the data by using these DOIs, um, so these enduring links um, to the data sets or the secondary data sets. So I think those are really things that we as a platform can be, can utilize, and, and um, we, we believe that is um, clearly important. That's terrific. Well, last question for both of you. Um, right now, I'm just going to hazard to guess, but you can correct me, that it's a relatively small percentage of uh, uh, clinical trial data that's uh, shared now. In five years, um, what, do you, what do you estimate the percentage will be? Uh, I would say if you think, let's go back to 2003 and four when we had the debate about registering protocols and the initial uptake was slow. Um, of course, it had the force of the journal editors and then ultimately the U.S. Congress behind it. And so it did. It did take off uh, relatively rapidly, uh, and I think, uh, in spite of the early concern that being forced to register protocols was going to uh, slow the advance of science, that certainly didn't occur. So I think if you then uh, move forward to the individual patient data sharing, it is a lot more complicated and it is a lot more costly. So the uptake is naturally going to be slower. But my prediction is that once we get to a, a place where 25 to 30 percent of people are routinely sharing data, what will happen is that the, the population of people who want 
data and the population of people who are willing to share data will start to, to coincide. And I think that will, once we hit that critical mass, it will become more common. It, I think it will always be an issue of, of um, in, uh, in, uh, enabling and funding. So I do think there are some practical issues that are going to require some leadership in the academic and government com uh, community to make it clear when you're planning a research project, allowing funds and logistics for sharing are important. And I think Gates Foundation, NIH, for instance, are already doing that. So I think once that takes hold, that sort of uh, nudge will will uh, increase the uptake. Okay, great. Uh, and Rebecca, uh, any predictions for five years in terms of the state of affairs for uh, data sharing? Yeah, I, I mean, what I've seen just in the last 18 months, I would say, when we've been very much engaged, is we've seen individual stakeholders take bold steps to fostering data sharing. But now we've seen more a broader range of stakeholders move together to build this ecosystem to both reuse data and step forward to contribute data. So I would say it would take maybe another three years for us to see kind of this inflection point where we would see the majority of data shared in the IPD space. Um, maybe that's a bold prediction, but hopefully within three years' time that we would see the vast majority of data in the clinical trial space, and hopefully other types of data like real-world data also shared, uh, which I think would rap, you know, cause some rapid advances in some of these diseases that we uh, impact all of patient lives, which is really where um, we're all, you know, of course, the mission of Livley, Duke, and others are will become, you know, the reality of our mission uh, will be a, closer to a reality and, and hopefully fulfilling that reality as well. Well, great. Well, I, I look forward to uh, achieving those uh, lofty goals. And and uh, Frank and Rebecca, thanks for uh, spending time with us on, on this podcast uh, here and really uh, appreciate all your efforts in terms of uh, driving uh, data sharing and open science uh, for the community. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity, Adrian. So please join us for our next podcast as we continue to highlight uh, fascinating and informative changes in the research world, uh, lessons learned from Collaboratory Grand Rounds as we go forward. Thank you. Thanks for joining today's NIH Collaboratory Grand Rounds podcast. Let us know what you think by rating this interview on our website, and we hope to see you again on our next Grand Rounds, Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time.